God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I want to talk about a kind of hot-button issue or topic that's kind of in our public's consciousness, and that is the word identity. Identity. Um, When we talk about identity, we're talking about what a person or thing is. And of course, as humans... Our identity is tied to the variety of vocations or roles or relationships that we have and the context that we inhabit. My identity, for example, is found in the fact that I am a priest, a son, a brother, a husband, a father, a teacher, a friend, and a whole host of other categories. And each of those categories, in their own way, inform who I am. When it comes to our identity, our cultural moment suffers from two opposite errors. The first error is the proliferation of identity politics, which acknowledge our rootedness and particulars, but use them as the foundation for a a sort of all-encompassing political agenda. This is a problem, of course, because we can emphasize difference in such a way that we ignore any and all commonalities that we might share with others and also shut out other voices as a result of that. Further, it's ultimately a subjective approach to life. You may think your identity is the one that should get a say, but ultimately that is an arbitrary judgment. But the equal and opposite error reacting to identity politics would be to pretend that one's identity is insignificant, that your context, your vocations, your roles, your relationships do not matter or inform who you are. Today's epistle reading has much to say to us when it comes to the issue of identity. The Christian understanding of who we are, as St. Paul articulates in our reading this morning, avoids these two extremes by anchoring our identity in Christ and seeing everything as flowing from that fundamental reality. Now to start, it may help to talk about some of the issues going on that prompted Paul to write his letter to the Galatians. The Galatian church was in many ways the victim of identity politics. The first generation of Christians, according to the book of Acts, were predominantly Jewish, which makes sense because our Lord was Jewish, who ministered in a predominantly Jewish area, and so many of his followers were Jewish. But what we see is that as the church expanded, they did this by adding Gentiles to their numbers. But this posed a crisis for some Jews. Because Gentiles were viewed as ritually unclean because of their dietary practices. They didn't eat kosher. And they were also viewed as morally impure because they worshipped idols and often practiced deviant sexual behavior, often bound up in their idolatry. The solution to this problem for some Jewish Christians was that Gentiles should be made Jews through circumcision. Tough sell. Not very seeker-friendly, is it? And that they should eat kosher. And that they should observe Jewish feasts and rituals. Paul, of course, was on the opposite side of this issue. And he was on the forefront, really, because he was the apostle to the Gentiles. That was his title. Most of his ministry was aimed at preaching to Gentiles and bringing them into the church. When he would travel, he'd go to a new city. He'd find the synagogue. He'd preach there as long as they would have him. And then when they kicked him out, he would go find as many Gentiles as he could. 
And so the Galatian church was the focal point of a controversy between those Jewish Christians who insisted that converts to Christianity embrace Jewish identity and practices and the apostle himself who staunchly opposed adding Jewish ethnic customs as a prerequisite to becoming a member of the church. For the apostle Paul, the goal was never to make people Jewish. It was to make people Christian. So Paul's main critique against the Judaizing party is that they elevated ethnicity to the most important facet of identity. This commitment to a kind of ethnocentric identity politic on their part was actually a way of avoiding the self-sacrificial life of a Christian. They constrain you to be circumcised, he remarks, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. What this probably means is that Jewish Christians wanted Gentiles to become Jewish so that these Jewish Christians wouldn't lose their credibility and standing in the synagogue and among their Jewish peers. In other words, they didn't want to gain a reputation as those bad Jews who hang out with people who they shouldn't associate with. But notice how different that is from our Lord's ministry. He regularly hung out with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes, all the kinds of people you shouldn't hang out with. So the Judaizers manipulated and warped the gospel to avoid their own embarrassment and persecution. It's so contrary to the mission of Jesus, who died on the cross with his arms outstretched on that hard wood so that anyone and everyone could come within his saving embrace. By denying that all were welcome there, By qualifying membership in the church with ethnic requirements, the Judaizers revealed their disordered priorities. Christianity was not their ultimate identity. Being Jewish was. If Christianity isn't the ultimate source of our identity, then whatever else we make primary is about our boasting. If we choose to make who we are ultimately about where we're from, what our job is, who our family is, golf, our kids' sports, or anything else, then we are ultimately building our lives around ourselves and for ourselves. And this is a very insidious form of idolatry. It's easy to see the ridiculousness of worshiping some sort of statue or object like the pagans worshiped. Very easy. The Psalms make fun of them often for praying to these blocks of wood that can't speak back. But worshiping ourselves... It's much harder to see when we do that. And when we do see it, it's much harder to figure out exactly where we went wrong. But the problem with worshiping ourselves is the same problem with worshiping idols. An idol made of wood will rot. An idol made of iron will rust. If you worship your identity in terms of your job, your nationality as an American, your family, your political affiliation, or whatever else, then know this, those things will ultimately fail you. This is the same mistake the Judaizers made. They ultimately trusted in their ethnicity. But St. Paul reminds us in the reading, neither circumcision availeth anything. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish or not. And so what the Judaizers did was elevate the non-essential to the essential. I once heard a Baptist pastor say that the gospel is offensive enough on its own terms, so don't add your own quirks to it. And I think his impulse is largely correct. 
Presenting the gospel should be done with the same posture as John the Baptist, who pointed to Christ saying, He must increase and I must decrease. But as tribalistic human beings, we love to do this. We love to pile on extra requirements to the gospel. Hey, Jesus loves you. And while we're at it, let me tell you how to dress, how to speak, who to vote for, and why you should go to X, Y, or Z school. Of course, those issues are all important. We have to be able to think in terms of the gospel, in light of the gospel. But we also have to be able to discern between cultural norms and customs that may be good in and of themselves and essentials. And that's exactly what the Judaizers could not grasp. It's not that being Jewish is bad. Quite the opposite, in fact. St. Paul says if you were born Jewish, you have a number of advantages. You have the scriptures. You have the rituals and the rites that point us to Christ. But the Judaizers just couldn't see how being Jewish wasn't essential. And what this ends up being is a thinly veiled means of controlling others. Judaizers wanted converts to be like them instead of allowing those converts to live in the freedom of the gospel. The alternative to this identity-based approach to the Judaizers is fundamentally rooted in the gospel. St. Paul says, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Our primary and organizing identity is given to us by the cross through the sacrament of baptism. At the moment of baptism, we are reborn a child of God. We are marked as Christ's own. And this objective fact that we are loved, that we are adopted, should cause the ordering of everything else, everything else about who we are. And this avoids the problem of identity politics because baptismal identity, who we are in Christ, changes everything about who we are. It totally rearranges our priorities. It gives our lives a distinctive shape, and that shape is the cross. We have the vertical component of our lives, the relationship that we have with God, but there's also a horizontal component, which is our relationship with others. And the two are inseparable. Our identity as children of God is played out through our relationships with others on that horizontal axis. If, we, if who we are by virtue of baptism is the organizing principle of our lives, then all other parts of our identity do not cease to exist, but rather are elevated to a new and special importance. Being a Christian doesn't erase the fact that you have an ethnicity, that you have a family, that you have other vocations, quite the opposite. Our contexts and identities become avenues whereby we preach the gospel. So if you're a parent, you have the opportunity to teach Christianity to your children, not only through catechesis and prayer in the home, but also by how you parent. The very nature of your parenting is changed by the fact that you're a Christian because you see your job as parent as offering yourself a living sacrifice for your children. That's, of course, just one example. You can apply that same pattern to whatever vocation or role you occupy. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. For Paul, everything comes from baptism. It is the foundation of a new life. Neither circumcision availeth anything, nor circumcision, but a new creature. 
And Paul goes on to say, as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy. What rule is he talking about? He means the rule that we should live into the reality that we are a new creation in Christ as the organizing and fundamental principle of who we are. The rest of our identity, everything else about us, must fall in line with the fundamental declaration at baptism that we are in Christ. And there are two outworkings of this for Paul. We receive peace and mercy. Peace is one of the fruit of the Spirit that we heard about last week in our epistle reading. The shalom that Paul speaks of here, that peace which passeth all understanding, is only accessible to us in Christ. Come unto me, all ye who travail and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. And we also receive mercy, which can be translated as pity or compassion. Because God doesn't give us what we deserve. Mercy is the negative aspect of grace. In mercy, we don't get what we deserve, but even more, we receive grace by being in Christ, by being children of God. That means God gives us what we don't deserve. This morning's collect is one of my favorites. And we prayed, keep, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy church with thy perpetual mercy. And because the frailty of man without thee cannot befall, keep us ever by thy help from all things hurtful. Our reading for today is about one of those things which can be hurtful. It's about when we allow the various components of who we are to compete against the most fundamental part of who we are, that we're Christian. You are not fundamentally your job. You are not fundamentally your nationality. You are not fundamentally your race. Being a Christian is first and foremost. Every other part of who we are is then saturated by that primary identity. You are not just a parent. You're a parent who's a Christian. And that shapes how you parent. You are not just an employee. You're an employee who's a Christian. And that shapes how you work. You're not just a neighbor. You're a neighbor who's Christian. And that shapes how you treat your neighbors. Ultimately, you are a Christian, which means little Christ. You're a little Christ. And that must always, always, always be the most important thing about you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.